morning, everyone. Nice to be here. Thanks to Heather and Khan Ram for hosting us. And this morning we're going to continue our discussion of Sri Rupa Goswami Prabhupada's Namastakam, eight verses glorifying the holy name. And um, we went through two of the verses, and we've also explained that we're taking a foothold, so to speak, uh, of the um, terse and uh, limited, but um, uh, 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 very firm, so to speak, foothold of the commentary of Valdebidibusan to climb the mountain of trying to comment further on the exalted feelings of Rupa Goswami as he glorifies the holy name of Krishna. <clears throat> and uh, and we've learned uh, something about the poetic st- structure of the uh, Astakam from Valdebidibusan. Um, by which, as we've explained poetically, Krishna is being depicted as his name, Nanda from himself, surrounded by the eight principal gopis in the forms of the different feminine meters that each of the verses uh, are written in, making for what otherwise would seem like a mistake to write in different meters for every verse of the same astakam. Um, while the Bidibusan has found a way to demonstrate that it's actually a, an ornament. Mm-hmm. So, just, I mean, if his commentary had said nothing other than that, it would be something to celebrate for for, for generations. Such a insight. Mm-hmm. Do you follow? You, you weren't here for that, so. Samaste or comprende? Me entiendes? La significada. Oh, you're Brazileros. No habla español. Okay. Anyway, we were thankful for you to be here. Obrigado. <laughs> so, um, um, briefly, the idea is that he, Rupa Goswami, each of his verses are in a different meter, which would be out of place, so to speak, but they're all feminine meters, and Baladeva said, that what he's doing is is a way of saying, kind of very subtly, and you have to have this sarudayam, sympathetic heart to feel what he what his intention was, and of course Baldev Bidibushan a couple hundred years later does, and and he's um, revealed to us that what Rupa is saying that this is a way of saying that Krishna's name, or who is not from himself, is shines most brightly hmm, um, under the influence of his Shakti. And, of course, the principal Shakti is Radha, and she has eight immediate expansions that are quite famous as well. So, in this way, the poem is Constitute Krishna, hmm, um, surrounded by his most intimate associates who are shedding light, further light on him. Uh, if you want to know a person, 
then you need to know their energy. Hmm. I've said before, if you want to know, like, Swami, you know, that he, you know, he, what does he do by his Shakti? He, you know, he writes books. So then you can acquaint yourself with the Shakti, the, the energy that comes out of the energetic, and that way you become acquainted with the, with the energetic, right? Hmm. So to know the Shakti is to know Bhagavan, hmm? to know his Shakti. Uh, this is, of course, a central point in Gaudiya uh, theology. Hmm. And so in the first two verses, the first verse is, uh, again, briefly described the exalted, liberated status of the name. That is, it's almost off the map of the scriptures which seek to chart everything. Hmm? It said, and I mentioned last night, that the the uh, mind of Vyas, the legendary compiler and author of the the uh, Eastern Revelation, is as big as the sky. So anything that you could think of is supposed to be addressed in there. Um, maybe not all the details. Some things maybe aren't worth thinking about, but anything worth thinking about perhaps maybe would be a better way to, to put it. But that said, um, we know that after Vyas compiled all the Vedic literatures, he still felt a little bit uh, un, in, unfulfilled, and Nara told him the reason. And so the result of that was Vyas entering back into Samadhi, and then in Samadhi Bhasha, in a language coming out of his Samadhi, he wrote the crown jewel of the crown jewel, so to speak, of sacred text, the Granthraj, Srimad Bhagavatam, which center of which is the Leelas of Krishna in Braj, that the Vedas, Shrutibir Bhimrigyam, we cited Uddhava's statement, they're like looking for, trying to cast a shed of light on as, as uh, being beyond themselves, off the map, so to speak, of the uh, scripture. And there the name resides in his fullness, in his names that are filled with his shaktis, like Radhanath, um, like uh, Yashodanandan, filled with his shaktis, names that uh, about him in relation to his uh, devotees in the uh, principal rasas of, of Braj hmm, that afford such intimacy and so forth. So there, he is glorified in a, in a, in a special way. Hmm? Uh, uh, and he in particular, Krishna Nam, um, the glorification of him is said to be um, Manobhirama, very pleasing to the mind. And um, Anyway, so the exalted position of the name on the one hand, and then the generosity of the name comes in the second verse. How far low, how far down it reaches to extend, he extends himself to to the common people even who don't have faith, right? By Harinam. The name has appeared in syllables of the lexicon of the Sanskrit language, and uh, it's language of this, it's language of the Devas, but that, that's also part of this world. The language in the Leelas, of course, this is, 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 uh, is, uh, that's all, uh, Bhava. It may take a shape like hmm, 
some ordinary words, but uh, and point being, just by understanding Sanskrit, you can understand the bhavas of of Braj is another method for for attaining that experience. Um, but the name generously manifests himself in this world in syllables that people can take advantage of, and when devotees chant the name, he goes into the ears of people who have no faith, aren't even looking for the name, and they may um, sometimes invoke the name in passing, in sleep, in joking, sankecha parihasimba stobahevunamevava, right? In, uh, in four ways that the Bhagavatam is described as that constitutes an abbas or a shadow, a semblance of the name. Hmm? And what Shri has told us in his second verse is this semblance of uttering, which isn't uttered in spiritual practice um, with an effort to concentrate on the name and to, and to intentionally glorify Bhagawan, but just in passing, hmm? so to speak. Um, uh, the, the prime example that we cited, which um, uh, uh, is is that of um, Sanketyam, naming your son after God, hmm? Narayan, for example, in the story of Ajamil, of course, uh, came up in our discussion, which is where these four types of Namabhas are are mentioned in the Bhagavatam, only place. So he named his son Narayan. So assigning the name to designate something else than what it actually designates and represents. So he would call his son Narayan. This is a form of Namabhas. And so by such utterances of a shadow or semblance of the name, you can reach the heights of the jnanis and the yogis, which is to um, dissipate all of one's karma and attain mukti. Hmm? And that is just staggering, just a very staggering uh, concept, especially if you're a jnani or a yogi and, and all the austerities in your path Time take that you're in, that's involved in trying to uh, do away with the eradicate material some scars and and and, and incidentally this is the only way the only way to eradicate these material some scars is through a form of sadhana be it gyan yoga or bhakti there is no other way out hmm? uh, you can't do away with bad karma by good karma. Hmm? That's not going to work. You have to have not a religious orientation to end karma and material impressions, but a spiritual orientation. So these are three, jnana, yoga, and bhakti. And of course, jnana and yoga, to be efficacious in the full sense of the term, there has to be some influence of bhakti as well, mixed in with the practice. Hmm? Grace from that side. So, at any rate, these other paths, Gyan and Yoga, are very, very difficult uh, paths. And, um, and to think that just by uttering the name outside of the context of spiritual practice, you could get its results that Gyanis and Yogis are working to get through their system for lifetimes. It's, it's just 
staggering. It's hard to believe, but we're cautioned that in, in the Purana that the name and the virtues of the holy name are not to be considered exaggerations. The implication of that is, on the one hand, that there are places in the scripture where the texts take a license to exaggerate in order to get people on board. Most people are motivated either by fear or by prospect of what they might attain. By following a scriptural injunction, I'm going to get something. Okay, I'm motivated, I'm driven. Hmm? Or by not following a scriptural injunction, something bad is going to happen to me. Okay, I'm driven by that. So by prospect and by fear. Hmm? So there are therefore a number of texts seeking to bring those people in who won't be motivated otherwise, giving their condition at the time. And so statements are made sometimes that exaggerate, if you do this, this will happen to you. And it's like, it, it seems, it might seem in modern society, it might seem like, that's a little heavy hmm, for that. Hmm? The story of King Riga came up the other day, uh, who accidentally gave a cow, he gave a cow in charity to a Brahmin, and then somehow or other, the cow ended up back in his own herd, and unbeknownst to him, he gave the same cow to a second Brahmin. And the reactions for that were quite extreme. So people read and go, seems a bit extreme. Mm -hmm. But uh, there in that situation, Krishna was trying to teach the inhabitants of, of Dwarka on another, on a lower level about the importance of, of um, respecting the Brahmins and so forth. And so there's uh, some, in such instances, there can be exaggeration. Mm -hmm. Scripture takes the license, drive home point and to motivate people who are driven, will be driven by fear or by prospect. But with regard to the holy name, that's what, why, why, why would they say that? Because there are, there is, there are instances. And a learned person, a jnani, will know that. Hmm? He'll know that these are exaggerations to drive, motivate those people. And it's good, it has its place, and so forth. Hmm? Then he may think, or she may think, and this is what, same applies to this. Obviously, it's not going to happen that just by uttering the semblance of the name outside of any even spiritual practice or interest in spiritual practice that you could get the result that I'm pursuing that is constitutes on uprooting the, the, the seed of, uh, of material existence, anadi avidya, the ignorance that is beginningless, beginningless ignorance, up, uproot it where all the problems of our life and our conditioning is, is arising out of. Hmm? It's, it's not an easy thing. How much knowledge do you need to uproot a tree hmm, you know, at the roots of ignorance that has been perpetuated forever? Hmm? From a time without beginning. And where are you in relation to that? I mean, where can you say? There's no beginning to it, though. So. Just to just to help try to fathom the 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 web, the karmic web of material existence, it is uh, super um, entangling. It's just not letting just anybody go very easy. Hmm?
Manushanum Sahasra Shu Kaschid Yatadiside, Yatatama Pisidanam Kaschin Mambeti Tatvata. A similar statement in the Bhagavatam. What is it? Muktanam Mapisidanam Narayana Parayana. Anyway, to find to find someone interested even in in what really constitutes perfection, perfect knowledge, um, is very rare, one in a million. And then amongst those, so on and so forth. The texts say, therefore, it's uh, it's it's very and it's very very rare to find an devotee, to Christian, an a Parayana, one whose life is for Narayan, and a Krishna Parayana is even harder to find. And a Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Parayana <laughs> is even harder harder to find. Hmm? Um, so, Mukti is a rare thing. Hmm? You could kind of wrap your head around Mukti is a rare thing. Now try to understand how rare is Prem Prayojan, the goal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism to enter into the Brajlila, which makes Mukti look insignificant hmm? in its bhava stage. When our practice comes to bhava, one of the characteristics of that stage is that it makes Mukti look insignificant. Hmm? This is the strong sense that comes with. So there's, there's no more driving motive in bhava bhakti hmm? to finish material, get, get out of material existence. It's entirely driven by love, wanting to perfect one's love for Krishna. That's all. It's a love-driven stage. right? Hmm? Sadhana bhakti, then you might find prayers relative to that. Get me out of this. Uh, help me control my mind, my senses, and so forth and so on. So Baba bhakti makes mukti seem insignificant. Hmm? And because there are both bhavas of reverential nature and of an intimate nature for Vaikuntha and for uh, Braj, respectively, we could reason that the statement of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that, that in bhava bhakti, mukti becomes, um, appears insignificant, refers to a kind of mukti that falls short of mukti pade, mukti at the feet of a Bhagwan Narayan, for example, Salokya, Shasti, Samipya, Sarupya. Hmm? And therefore, referring rather than to these, to Sayuja. Sayuja. Sayuja is a kind of mukti um, that is spoken, spoken about very disparagingly by Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Uh, Kaivalyam Narakayate. Vishwana Chakuti talks. Kaivalyam is another name for this kind of mukti. And Vishnu says it's hell, hellish. Hmm? So Gaudi is speaking in a very disparaging way about this kind of mukti. Um, because if one should pursue that type of mukti, there is practically no scope for ever tasting bhakti rasa. Hmm? And that is so superior in their estimation and experience that uh, they would they, they, they would they would see 
material condition life as a better situation to be in than to be merged into Brahman. Because in the material life, there's a chance for sadhu sangha, there's a chance for doing bhakti. In Sayuja Mukti, there's no chance for doing bhakti. There's nobody there. Hmm? Bhakti requires a determinate absolute, not an indeterminate absolute, not a nirvishesh absolute, where there's no there's no other, there's no qualities. There's how can you do guna kirtan, lila kirtan? There's no other person to, to glorify. That's the perception. That's the experience. Hmm? So in this world, even conditioned life, is we can do bhakti. Hmm? And then get some scars for bhakti and and forego this this uh, sayuja mukti, which is which is attained after such a mumukshata, such a powerful longing uh, is cultivated for that. That longing to attain mukti has to be a longing that that does away with all other longings of the world. So how strong is it? How strong is our longings for things, for people, for improving our life, whatever? Uh, um, it's 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 considerable. This this to, to the desire for mukti in gyan has to be outweigh all those desires. So how strong is that? So to pull somebody out of that hmm, is a very very formidable uh, task. Hmm. You have to be an extraordinarily powerful. Uh, devotee to do that. Uh, we found it in the case of Sriman Mahaprabhu. Shri Chaitanya Dev Ki Jai. He pulled Prakashananda Saraswati and 60,000 other Mamukshatvas out of, they were just being drawn into Sauja Mukti. Hmm? And he pulled them out by his humility. Hmm? He sat at the door and washed the feet of the sannyasis as they came in, although he was the esteemed guest of the day, invited by Prakashananda, who when he saw it said, no, no, you can come, that's not your duty, you should sit, and we want to understand your, who you, what, what you're about. And of course, you know the story, Mahaprabhu converted them. That is extraordinary spiritual power. Extraordinary spiritual. I mean, the power, you have to understand, the power that Mahaprabhu exhibited in Jarikanda that caused lions and tigers to dance and animals that are by nature's arrangement inimical to one another to embrace and chant <coughs> at the astonishment of Balabhadra Bhattacharya, his assistant. I mean, imagine what his experience was. <laughs> but my point is, to draw somebody out of who's who's a jivan mukta, who's in the penultimate state just before entering into videha mukti, into into, into sayuja, to pull him out, it's harder than to get a, a lion and tiger to chant Hare Krishna. This is a, a real magnet there. You know, once you've got those sun scars for that, they're so powerful, so indelibly kind of marking your. You're chitta. You're just uh, so he did it, hmm? and in no small measure. But it's the only example I know of. Hmm? Yeah, Sarvabhauma. He wasn't that far along. 
And he came from Bengal, and you know, he was <laughs> part of Mahaprabhu's extended family. So uh, that was a little different. But you know, he did he would he did teach about that. So it's, it is a, an example. Not as he wasn't as far gone as as Prakashananda. Hmm. He wasn't a sannyasi, hmm. example. And according in according in that way to school, you have to take birth as a Brahmin, and in that life you have to take sannyas and entertain moksha. So he was a few steps away, still one step away at least from that. And then you know, then as a sannyasi, you have to make considerable effort as well. So so again to say that chanting the name, shadow of the name, outside of the context of spiritual practice you can get a kind of mukti that would exceed sayuja, which is spoken about disparagingly by the Gaudias. So when they say mukti is belittled by Uttambhakti in the stage of bhav, it's thought of being, as being insignificant, we'll think it, it really refers to this sayuja type of mukti because there is a kind of bhav, hmm, for Vaikuntha's mukti. There's a bhava and a prem also in Vaikuntha, reverential love. So if you're having bhava bhakti, invite bhakti, and and that's the subject actually, where this is coming up in Bhakti Rishimita Sindhu, would apply to rag bhakti as well, but he's speaking about vaiti bhakti in particular in that section. Then, um, it would make that kind of liberation, Sayujamukti, look look small. Now what's big if we go to Braj Bhakti and, and how small it makes it look even even further. So this is very um, these are very, very powerful points of Gaudi Vaishnavism. If you understand them, then you you start to feel optimistic. About, that's why it's important to kind of understand these other paths and get a context. We come to go to Vaishnavism out of who knows where, you know, the Western society and, and and so forth. We don't have any context for being wowed by these things in the way that somebody else is. Like, I learned my whole life that the goal was moksha, and, and now you're telling me this, and, and, and that's ingrained in you for for lifetimes even, uh, not even as a practice, but just as a common person in India. These are startling ideas. So you can see how revolutionary is the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's earth-shattering, uh, shaking, it's earthquaking or whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. And then, you know, to, and, then, and then to support these claims from Scripture, what, what mastery of the texts we were saying last night, the Goswamis had to have, hmm? and then to establish a whole nam tattva, nam dharma, a whole theology of the name, and a whole in its whole community, a sampradaya, to pursue these these ideas, to take advantage of them, and so forth. It's an incredible um, a contribution you know, to, to, to the world. I'm actually absolutely mind-boggling. And then if you get this, then you think, and I'm part of that. <laughs> Somehow I'm hanging in there. I'm a part of that. This is uh, something I'm never going to let go of. This is very uh, auspicious. Hmm? And very, it's, very, it's a very generous, generous dispensation. Hmm? So with that, we come to the third uh, verse. And Rupa Goswami tells us a little bit more 
about the name, which is also quite interesting. He says, O Harinam, while you are rising, while you are arising, a mere semblance of you bestows deep insight into the principles of bhakti upon even those individuals who are blind to the absolute truth due to being under the grip of the multifarious thick layers of the darkness of material existence. O brilliant son of the Lord's names, is there any learned individual in this world that is capable of completely describing your glories? So says Rupa Goswami. So he's making an interesting uh, point here. He's saying that not only does this Namabhas have the power to give liberation, that means it has karma-destroying power, right? Because bondage is karma. Liberation is no karma. That's why there's no falling from any kind of liberation. You cannot fall from Sayuja Mukti. Hmm? Sometimes Prabhupada said you could do that, but what he did was he was conflating Jivan Mukti with Videha Mukti. With the Jivan Mukti, Jivan Mukti means to be Jivan means to be like living, so liberated in this life. It means the unmanifest karma has been destroyed. There's no karma that you can create. But the karma that is already manifested as your body and psychology, it has to play itself out. Hmm? So those impressions are there, they play themselves out, and they're finished, that's death, and the Jivan Mukti becomes videha, bodiless Mukti, means he enters into, into Sayuja. Hmm? So entering into Sayuja, there's no coming back. But the two, Jivan Mukti, and Videha Mukti, one is the form of the penultimate state and Videha Mukti, the, the ultimate destination. They're pretty similar. And, and most people who get to Jivan Mukti, they're going to make it to, we would hope to, their desire Videha Mukti. Hmm? But the Bhagavatam says, those who offend Bhakti in the stage of Jivan Mukti, even if they get there, they can entertain Videha Mukti. They go down instead of going up. Hmm? So Prabhupada just kind of combines together and say, says, uh, those who uh, desire this kind of Sayuja Mukti, they, uh, they don't, uh, they, they fall from there. Hmm? He conflated the two. I mean, this is an example of Prabhupada creating opportunities uh, that don't really exist in the text to rail against Sayuja Mukti, <laughs> which again is spoken about disparagingly by Gaudias uh, for the reasons that I mentioned. Hmm? Once going there, there's no return. It's possible, it is possible to go from there upward, but that is some special grace of, of Krishna hmm? that, that that could happen. Hmm? But it's it's not the norm, hmm? and so it's a great loss from the Gaudiya perspective, right? So Prabhupada, you know, nirvishesha sunyavadi paschatadeshatarn. If you understand that, you understand why that, that he over and over and over again, um, even in ways that the Vedas have said, that's not our teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't really say it like that. Prabhupada really didn't care. He just anything to you know get that Vedan. A way to out of the way was his idea. Get it out of the, finish this. Uh, you can't without getting this um, mayavad. 
notions cleared, then there's no there's no scope for bhakti, right? Hmm? And and in Mayavad, this is a particular uh, school that seeks sayuja mukti. Their idea of sayuja mukti, it's it's almost impossible not to be offensive to Bhagavan in that school. Hmm? You take a Sugadev Goswami or the Navayogendras or the Kumaras, you know they're different. They weren't Mayavadis, but Mayavadis they can um, uh, offend Bhagwan, the deity, the, uh, the eternality of his leelas, and so forth. So it's 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 an unfortunate. Uh, uh, practice. <laughs> anyway, so w- what to speak of speaking disparagingly about Sayuja Mukti? Gaudi is speaking even more disparagingly about Mayavad as a as a particular school, aiming at a version of that which is their own, which we say doesn't even exist because they say there is no jiva, there's only Brahman. You are Brahman, and we say no, there is Sayuja Mukti, and the jiva can enter into Brahman and be and be there hmm? and feel relief but uh, so it's a kind of emerging where his individuality is obscured but he's not Brahman hmm? therefore we make a distinction between self-realization and Brahman realization as the Gita does Brahma Bhuta Prasannatma Na Sochati Na Kangshati Samasaveshu Bhuteshu Madbhaktim Labhate Param Brahma Bhuta means, oh, he's self-realized. Hmm? Versus speaking about somebody in this world. Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma. He's happy. He's happy and his joy knows no bounds. He doesn't lament or hanker. Hmm? He sees people equally. Uh, he sees everyone equally. If you're in Vidya Mukti, you aren't seeing anybody. Hmm? You understand? If you've attained Brahman realization, there's nobody to see equally or... <laughs> So the verse is talking about somebody in this world who's reached the stage of practice through gyan hmm, and mixed with some bhakti of self-realization. And, and then the verse goes on to say, Madhbhaktim labhateparam, with the addition of, or taking advantage of, and churning the bhakti in the equation, Madhbhaktim labhate, one attains, param, hmm, me. And that could be different relative to the the, the quality of the bhakti and the quantity of the bhakti. But on the low end, it's sayuja mukti. Hmm? Entering there, there's you, you should understand, there's no possibility of returning. Where will you return? Hmm? You, 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 have no, you have no memory of anything material. There's nothing material there's there's no there's, there's the three gunas aren't there you have no body <laughs> it's a bodiless form of mukti I mean, it's just it's, it's a you have to understand it properly hmm? then these kind of foolish arguments of human reason that people sometimes espouse for uh, justifying their 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 claims or sensibilities that uh, it's possible to fall from some form of mukti or just done away with. It, it, these these ideas come from not understanding the concepts. Hmm? Pretty important concept to understand. Yeah. 
So besides, you know, the Baikunta thing, even even this Sayuja Mukti. Hmm? Um, um, so if in the if in the penultimate state, Jivan Mukta makes offends Bhakti, then he goes down. Patanti he thought he was liberated, but his buddhi was avishuddha. It wasn't hadn't been, hadn't been purified. Hmm? He didn't have respect for bhakti, therefore he goes down. Hmm? Hmm. You can't be in, and, and, and then sometimes he'll say, "Well, if you go to Sayujamukti, hmm, then you have to fall down because." The constitutional position of the jiva is to serve Krishna, and you're not serving Krishna, so you're not in the constitutional position. So it's not real liberation. But that's not the fact. Hmm? Krishna says in the Gita, in the twelfth chapter, that some people pursue me as Brahman, hmm? and I don't recommend it because it's very difficult. Compared to hearing and chanting about me, which is very easy. And the goal of which, the result of which, is greater, comparatively speaking, than Sayuja Mukti. But with great trouble, they do attain me as Brahman. In other words, although we speak disparagingly about Videha Mukti, that is relative, hmm? relative, and it's it's a it's our comparative analysis to lay stress and appropriately so. On the glories of, of Bhakti Rasa, hmm? which can't be found there. But if we draw back from that kind of subjective position, as we must sometimes, then we'll also glorify Videha Mukti. It's a kind of Mukti. It's a kind of love of God. Why? Because you cannot get there without Bhakti. You had to have some, and Bhakti means loving God. You had to love God to get there. Hmm? You may have worshipped God as 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 Bhagwan to attain Brahman, not that well thought out, but that's how you were educated. That's the samskars you got. Hmm? There weren't any devotees around, so you met some other mystics, and so, so it is a form of God realization. Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shabdite. Hmm? So from a distance, then we're going to yeah, respect that. That's what Prabhupada always told me. Any jnani, sannyasis, you should always respect them. Hmm? In another way, we, we'll, we'll criticize the path, but it is a form of, of, of God-realization. It's a form of love of God because part of loving God is stopping from taking, right? Hmm? That's part of it. Hmm? Um, I mean, it's a very abstract form of love, but you can't get there without some bhakti. So just to make that point clear. Anyway, at any rate, the text here is now saying something else, besides the fact that, as we heard last in the previous verse, that by just a, an abbas, a shadow, a semblance of the name, you can attain hmm, um, mukti. Right? Um, here we're learning that by an abbas of the name, you can actually get um, spiritual intelligence to understand 
the bhakti um, siddhanta. Hmm? This is what it's really saying. You may question what's being said here because it's also said at times that chanting the name without sambandhagyan is not going to be very fruitful. Hmm? This is the experience of bhakti. We know that many people were nominally, play on words, it's useful, like uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Hmm? And they were chanting the name. And, um, you know, in the context of chanting Krishna, they might chant Kali also and so forth. They didn't have the sambandhagyan. In this context means they didn't know what the ten offenses were. Hmm? So they would be be, be committing them hmm? without knowing them. That's why getting someone to Gyan can help you to stop committing um, offenses, right? But um, what he was experiencing was that people were chanting, and some even were maybe not committing, for example, that offense, but they didn't have a real um, siksha in the, the ground them in the teachings and they weren't making progress. Therefore, he emphasized the need for siksha, the need for siksha. Some people were giving diksha, but they weren't giving siksha because they weren't that well-schooled themselves in the teaching. And it had the influence of material nature and Kali Yuga had caused this the, the lineage of Mahaprabhu to be uh, covered over to some extent, right? So the need for a bhaktivinoda, for example. Hmm? And so he emphasized, therefore he, wrote, therefore he wrote so many books. He said, the common people in the village, they need education. What is bhakti? Hmm? And and then the chant and so forth, right? So here it seems to say that you're going to get some again just by chanting. So there seems to be a contradiction. You follow me? Hmm? But what Rupa Goswami really is saying here is that, is that, well, there's a verse in the Bhagavatam. It's a famous verse, you know it. Krishna Varnam Tisakrishnam Sangopangastra Parshidam Yagnai Sankirtana Prayer Yajanti Hisumedasa. It says that Krishna uh, comes and he is Tisakrishna. He's Krishna, but he's not, not black. He's Krishna, but he's not Krishna. And from his mouth, the lips always the name, the syllables Krishna are emanating. And he's surrounded by his associates and, and those who are intelligent, who are we find Sumedas intelligent, they worship him by Sankirtan. It's a verse from the Bhagavatam's 11th canto describing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the Kali Yuga avatar for this Kali Yuga. Hmm? So the important line in the verse is that Yajanti Sumedasa, they do Sankirtan who have Sumedasa. So Sumedasa means intelligence. Sumedasa means they're very intelligent. Now, that would not apply to all of us, probably, in terms of a... a um, IQ test or other ways of measuring intellect, right? So we have to look at other measurements of intellect to understand the implications. Um, once Prabhupada was asked that why aren't the intelligent people coming, and he said, he said, well, they are. Brahma's chanting and Narada's chanting, and he had a different idea. Who was intelligent? Once Shridhar was asked why aren't the intelligent people coming, he said, it's because what did he say? He said, because um, intelligence isn't the vehicle to get there by itself or something like that, or it's, it's rare. You know? um, so it's different, you could answer it in opposite ways. But, but at any rate, there are, one of the ways to, I suppose, assess 
one's intellect is by an IQ test or SAT scores or uh, whatnot. Um, we need to, but we have other factors. So, for example, we have intelligence that is primarily influenced by Tamaguna, by Rajaguna, and by Satguna. Hmm? So you could be very intelligent, but your intelligence would be largely uh, colored by Rajaguna. So you'd be intelligent in Rajaguna. Hmm? And you'd be quite smart in that field. Hmm? Like politics, for example. Uh, or, or as a Vaisha, which is a mixture of Rajas and, and Thomas. They're quite clever. Hmm? A, for you, I make no profit. Hmm? Clever marketing schemes. Uh, I mean, they're very, very bright, and they make big uh, paychecks for that kind of in, that kind of intelligence. There's Thomasic intelligence, and then of course, then there's the, the, the Sapphic intelligence, which is harder to find, which is which is an intellectual, actually, hmm? right, so to speak, um, speaking in a in a generic sense. And then if we take it in the context of religious life and so forth. Sattva is that kind of intelligence that doesn't allow one to feel content in a world that will not endure. Hmm? It's just not quite, that, I don't fit in there, something like that. So there's a, there's a drive from that quality of intelligence hmm? uh, towards the self that sattva can, in very refined states of sattva, can be revealed. Hmm? Now, what we're talking about here is Sumedasa, something else as well. Hmm? So there's transcendentally influenced intelligence. We're talking about intelligence influenced by the gunas, right? Hmm? There's like there's faith within the gunas. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna's response to Arjuna who asks about faith, and he says, oh, there's faith in all the modes. In the Bhagavatam, when Uddhava asks the question, Krishna says, yes, Faith in uh, in uh, in the ghosts and this is Thomas Kamagun and faith in the um, what is Zay's Rajagun? Demons. Hmm? Faith of demons in Rajas. In Rajas, okay, and then, then demons, and then in and then, then, then faith in faith in Shastra is sattvic, and faith in me that is Nirguna. Hmm? Knowledge also does the same thing. Knowledge of me, that's nirguna. Knowledge of the atma, that's sattva-guna. Hmm? Knowledge of Krishna, that is nirguna. So nam is nirguna. Hmm? Right? We've heard it comes to this world, and a shadow of it hmm, can have the effect of producing in due course, we'll get to that, liberation. Hmm. But here's another thing that it does. It predisposes one towards the philosophical um, understanding and arguments of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Hmm. In the fact that you, when you hear a logical point supporting the Gaudiya idea, and you go, yeah, and you feel like, who wouldn't, you know, I mean, you can find a lot of people that just that w- won't click with. Hmm? Ideas like um, Chanakalo from the Bhagavatam, 
Prahlad says, Oh, Krishna is known as Triguna. It's one of his names in the Mahabharata. He appears in three, three, Triyuga, excuse me, appears in three Yugas. But Chanakalo, in Kali, he appears in a, in a hidden way. I mean, only the Gaudias hear that verse and say, See, this is Mahaprabhu. Hmm? The very verse I'm citing, Krishna Varnam Prisakrishna, Jiva Goswami interpreted it in a way that you look at it and go, Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But the Ramanujas, they don't see it like that. So if you get this nam, even an abhas of it from the Gaudiya Sampradaya, it's going to have an effect to like predispose you, without your knowing it, to the arguments. You know, I mean, reason doesn't prevail in the world. It's psychology that prevails. So whatever your psychology is and your samskars is the reasoning that you're going to then identify with there's always going to be people on one side of the argument or the other, and reason is just going to go back and forth and back and forth. And it's not by reason, per se, um, alone, that we come to a determination. Hmm? But our psychology predisposes us towards a particular, our samskars, is that what I mean? A particular form of reasoning. So this is a, an extraordinary virtue of a shadow of the name. It creates some type of what what, what Bhakti Manod Thakur referred to as Bhakti Unmukhi Sukriti. Sukriti is, means virtuous action. So there's Sukriti in the realm of karma, pious acts. There's Sukriti in the realm of Jnana. It will give you some scars for Jnana. And Sukriti in the realm of, of Bhakti in this sense. That... You can call it bhakti samskaras you're going to get, or you can call it bhakti sukriti, hmm? as bhakti Thakur has. Hmm? And Sridharmash used to give a nice example about how the sukriti works. He says, because we we say that the beginning of the path is faith, right? If you have faith, in, then you can take up the path. Without faith, then how are you going to take up the path? But before taking up the path, something else is going on. And he gave the analogy of a seed. So you take a seed and you put it in the ground, bury it, and then you add water to it, right, and whatnot. And then, and then, without anybody seeing it or knowing it, the seed opens up and roots go down. Hmm? So this is how this sukriti is working, invisibly. Even by nama boss, one's getting sukriti that's going to predispose them, hmm? in time. Towards the arguments of, for example, Gaudi Vaishnava, their, their, their interpretation of the sacred texts that, that forms the, the Gaudi Sampradaya. So it's going to go down and then it's going to start to come up and still you're not going to see it until it pops up above the ground. right? And then he said, oh, that's the Shraddha. Now it's beginning. You say, oh, here, it's, 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 see, it grew. But it's been growing for some time, invisibly. Hmm? So... This way we resolve the apparent contradiction that without some bandhagyan, how you will advance. Hmm? And the idea being given here that you get some bandhagyan or you get predisposed towards it, you start to get, and Sridharmarsh translated this sumedasa of the Bhagavatam, Sukritivan, who has really refined uh, the- theistic sensibilities that enable them to tune into the Gaudiya arguments. 
So the beginning in this, you see, it's not a logical. It's a transrational uh, trans transformation, or not transformation, but yeah, well, uh, exchange, right? You're coming in touch with the transcendental, and it's and, and unbeknownst to you, but it's having an effect on you. Hmm? Next thing you know, you're sitting in the class with all these people, and it's making sense to you. And it doesn't make sense to your friends, and you got a problem. <laughs> what to do now? <laughs> so. Um, uh, so from that side, right, from the other side, then there's, a, there's an outreach uh, coming through the devotees and touching people. And even they utter namabhas, it fosters this kind of um, subtle predisposition hmm, for the argument. It doesn't mean they become educated in everything about bhakti. I mean, you could see something like that. But that would mean that in his previous life he got educated all about bhakti. In this life, he went all the way up to bhava, and then he passed. Then he came back, and he starts. He goes through all the stages really, really quickly. He just chants, he, and so forth, like a Gorka Shordas Babaji, something like that, who couldn't read or write, and he knew all the Vedic truths and, and so forth. So, um, so after Shraddha, we need some more Sambandagam. Hmm? But even before that, we're getting some through Namabhas. This is a huge virtue of the name, the, the Abbas of the name, that exceeds the virtue or the power of its ability to destroy um, karma and afford liberation. Because what's happening when you destroy the karma, when the Namabhas destroys karma, it's giving you a passport, right, to get out of the world. But now we're talking about an application for a visa is in place. Hmm? to enter into Golok just by Nama Bas. Hmm? You kind of sent, sent your, your application's been sent in. Hmm? The name sent it in for you. Something like that. It's being processed. Hmm? <laughs> It'll be there in a few weeks. A couple of weeks. So, this is a, 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 another excellence of Extraordinary excellence and power of a shadow of the name. Right? So, I wanted to get through the whole Namaste. I think we're going to do that, but let me. Um, this next verse is also somewhat related to what we're talking about. So, let's read it. Hmm. Verse 4. Okay. Prabhda karma does not leave the living entity, without his or her experiencing its results. This is true even in the case of those who possess firm determination to directly perceive Brahman. Gyanis. However, O Harinam, the Vedas loudly proclaim that the same Prabhda Karma is immediately driven about out by your appearance on the tongue. So, again, Prabhda Karma is the most, uh, got the greatest grip on us. That karma that has not yet manifest doesn't have a strong of a grip on us, and to do away with it by jnana is possible, by do away with namabhas is possible. And to free oneself from Kriyamana Karma, karma that you will create is also possible. But the Prabhda Karma, the scriptures say throughout, that cannot be 
done away with without just running its course. Hmm? Your prabhda karma is that you're the son and daughter or daughter of so-and-so. How are you going to change that? So prabhda karma just has to play itself out. However, hmm, bhakti is said throughout the scripture to have the power to even do away with the prabhda karma. Though this is one of the virtues and powers of of, of bhakti that by which it exceeds the power of jnana, that's that's another unbelievable possibility. Hmm? But the point being made here really is with regard to nam or kirtan, for example, which is an, an anga of bhakti and the most important, let's say, efficacious anga of bhakti, by this anga, Parabdha karma can be removed, but now he is not talking about nam abhas. Hmm? So Sanatana Goswami is explained in Brihat Bhagavatamrita. There's a nice discussion there between uh, a debate about the excellence of smarnam as a method versus kirtan as a method. And kirtan prevails in so many ways, and both are glorified and glorious. And one kirtan leads naturally to the other, smarnam, meditation, and so forth. Um, but some, anyway, so. Uh, in that uh, section, Sanatana Goswami explains that parabdha karma will not be eradicated by namabhas. Just like by jnana, parabdha karma cannot be eradicated, although it can eradicate aparabdha uh, 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 karma, unmanifest karma. Hmm? So what happens for the jnani is he gets to this point, it's just the prabhda karma and he's, he's just, these impressions are there just playing themselves out and death comes. So by namabhas you can attain a state by which the aparabdha the, the karma is done, the prabhda karma is still there and it plays itself out and then you get mukti. So namabhas can give mukti hmm? like jnan can give mukti. You understand? Gyan can give mukti by doing away with all the other karma and then you wait for the prabhda karma just to play itself out. That means death for the jivan mukta. Similarly, by namabhas, you can attain mukti hmm? because namabhas can do the same thing and much easier, right? More uh, quickly. Hmm? But nam at the same time can do away with parabdha karma, but not nam abhas. So now we're going to another level, moving away from the shadow of the name to the name. And there are sections in Bhaktivinoda Thakur's writings where he speaks about a novel idea of his called shraddha nam abhas. So shraddha nam abhas means that you're chanting the name with shraddha, with faith, as a practice. This is your discipline. This is you've been given your mala and so on and so forth, diksha, not, uh, you have a guru, you're, you're, so with faith you're chanting the name. 
So this is not Namabas, as we've talked about at Sanketya, Parihasyam, Stovanam, Helanam, these type. Hmm? Now you're chanting, but, but he has termed Shraddha Namabas, a shadow of the name within the conscientious culture and sadhana of, of Nam, Nam Dharma. Hmm? And um, that's what's being really referred to here without using the term uh, Shraddha Namabas. Uh, but it's 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 you know I'm only saying it's not Namabas in the technical sense. It's a it's another entity altogether. It's Nam in practice, where wherein offenses. That's another thing. That's going to come next. The power of the name over offenses that has to be dealt with because that's that's even another thing besides karma, right? But but anyway, by uh, by. Um, uh, um, practice of the name, culture of the name, without committing offenses, then the miraculous effect of such as the, the prabdha karma can be removed. So, in other words, it's again bhakti can remove prabdha karma. Nam kirtan is a form of bhakti, so nam kirtan can remove, remove prabdha karma. How does it do that? Hmm. It does so immediately. Hmm. Immediately means it's 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 like I think Jiva Goswami gives an example. If you want to make a garland and you have petals of flowers and you put the needle through the petals, goes happens all at once immediately. But if you look really closely, it goes for one split second, another one, another one, another one through all the flowers. So it happens like that. So it is a little little immediate and gradual. At the same time, it's done, hmm? but it takes a little time to play out. Hmm? So, how do you change your father and mother? <laughs> if that's part of your prabhu karma, well, by nam, you attain bhava, you get another father and mother hmm? in Krishna Leela, and you step into another body altogether. Hmm? You're in this world. Your prabhu karma is is gone. You're living in in stepping into the into the leela and a whole new identity. Krishna may preserve your physical sadhakadeha existence for the sake of um, your pursuing that that bhava bhakti or sharing it with others, hmm? but then that becomes shobana. Shobhana karma, beautiful karma, arranged by Krishna. Hmm? Hmm? So it's not uh, any longer prabdha. So it has that power. Nam has that power. Bhakti has that power. Hmm? So the Shraddha Namabhas is something like, well, okay, so you know, you're chanting, you're not, not making offense, and and so. It's anyway different, as you can understand. I, I think than than Namabas, and therefore it has more 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 power, hmm? even to do away with Prabhda. So this is then his um, um, explanation of this kind of lower level effects of uh, of uh, Nam. Then we'll have to come to. And I don't think we'll get to today. I want to stop and ask for questions, but. Um, 
and I've kind of hurried through this verse as it is, but we'll, I guess we'll go on at Saragrahi in the next coming days. But uh, then there's how to deal with offenses to the name. Hmm. How are you going to deal with that? Where are you going to go for that? You offended the name. What are you going to do now? How are you going to, and so forth. So, she now wants to come to Jai. Technical points today. Any question? Yes. Yeah, Admananda. Um, about changing the family. Um, <laughs> it seems like it does, in a way, like over time, it begins to feel like, yeah, like my I have like a bhakti family, and it's like more my family than yeah. my blood family. I mean, that's just my feeling. Even within the realm of sadaka, sadhana, yeah, your yeah. sadaka daya, yeah, yeah. Especially if your father was a certain way, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it so makes it know. easier <laughs> to change families. <laughs> yeah, that's a good... Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're living in Chaitanya Charitamrita, the extension of that. We're living in it. We've got stories to tell. They should be, they should be recorded. Yes. Forgive me if you've already answered this, Maharaj, but I'm just curious if you could explain a little bit more about the how to tell the difference between namavas and actual chanting. Well, yeah. Way for us to like notice it in ourselves. Yeah. Well, I, the the point there is that namavas as it's described in the Bhagavatam, in the Ajamil uh, story, is not part of a practicing devotee's life when they sit to chant or they enter in kirtan. They're doing something other than namabhas there. They're chanting with an orientation of pure bhakti. They're chanting, they want to attain pure bhakti uncovered by gyan and karma. And they're not, if they're a real sadhaka, they're not making any offenses. So that's a different thing. Now, at the same time in your life, you might say, um, uh, let's say you meet, uh, you don't have any children, but let's say you come here and you see one of the boys and and he and he, he, he's... Um, got a peacock feather on his head or something, you know, he's playing around or something. He goes, oh, you look just like Krishna. That's a form of namabhas. It's called parihasya. You're telling a joke. Oh, look, he looks just like Krishna. That's called parihasya. So, or you might, uh, if, if, if you have a son, you might name him Krishna. That's namabhas. Or name him Govinda. That's a, that, that boss when you designate the name to mean indicates something other than entirely what it indicates. So that's a, or then there's um, um means uh, like musically in, in music you could add the name of Krishna to fill the meter or, or something. Uh, uh, not not in kirtan. So um, or in, in poetry you could do something like that. That's a form of namabhas. So there, these are not, as you, as you can see, as I'm explaining, these are not, when you sit down to chant japa, you're not doing, now then you could be doing shraddha namabhas, to use Bhaktivinoda's term. In other words, you're chanting the name, and, and 
the son of the name has not yet appeared, but but you know it's coming. It's like dawn. Hmm? Dawn. You don't see the sun yet, but birds are chirping. Hmm? You're yeah. 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 Shraddha that, that, but that's a, some people won't refer to it like that unless you're in the Bhaktivinoda party bar. <laughs> but yeah, so and like, what's namaparad? It's not like some kind of chanting is offensive, but you, you make offenses and chant. Hmm? That's not good. So then namabasta, you're not making any offenses in shradhanamabasta. You're not making any offenses, but the the full. Um, efficacy of the name has not been realized yet. But if you're doing it properly, Shraddhanamabhas, you're getting some results. Just like I was talking with uh, uh, Krishna Chaitanya, he was telling me about his sadhana and so forth, and what did I think? And he, he said, and he, in the context of telling me about it um, and feeling rather rather that it was, you know, something anyway, it was kind of the way he was thinking about it. He said, but you know, he said, but it's, it seems to be working. So my comment was, it's working. That's you know you judge it by the results, right? Hmm? So yeah, it's working. Um, so we should. That's the art of doing sadhana. You have to be skillful. You got to see it's working. If it's not working, sometimes what I would do when I was young, I would chant, and if my mind was distracted by something, I'd just put down the the japa beats and bring out some cartels and start chanting. Which is easier than to con- control control the mind. So you got to be a little artful. You can't have just a formula. Have to do it like this only. To, if it's not working like that, do it like there's. That's the beauty of bhakti. If you can't do kirtan, do go go do deity worship. Hmm? Do archan. You know, do some. There's different angas of bhakti, and uh, one would prefer one over the over another. Uh, you know, I can't chant, but I really love to read and listen to the lecture. Do that. You know, um, and stay stay enthused. Hmm? Stay enthused. That's that's the idea. So this it's the art. You know, you, again, you have to look. You, you, there's a result that you want. You you can't think my results. I want to become a gopi tonight. You know, I mean, that's not going to happen probably. So you got to your your ideals or your interim goals have to be realistic and philosophically well thought out. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Like brushing the cows, feeding the cows, doing some service like that, and you're singing. Names of Krishna is that Namabhas? Well, that sounds m- no. I mean, you're singing the names of Krishna, and you're thinking, you know, I know what you're thinking, so it's good. Um, but uh, like a coward boy would, that's what they do. Coward boys, they they actually have a special uh, type. Uh, they're known for special type of kirtans that they make up. It's glorifying the cows. Hmm? Mm-hmm. It's a particular thing of that uh, that uh, caste, hmm. um, and uh, so anyway, um, and and brushing cows and feeding them and so forth. This is actually an anga of uh, of uh, of Adi Bhakti. Hmm. Uh, it goes along with like worshiping sacred trees and so forth. And with regard to rag bhakti, it is also um, a uh, what is it? It's bhav anukul bhav uh, aviruddha. 
Bhavaviruddha uh, means it's it's there are there are things that will be fate that rag bhakti is centered on attaining a certain bhav right then there are things that are favorable for that then there are things that are um, um, no there are things that are related to it so bhava sambandhi they're related to it. So let's say your your ideal is is to love Krishna as as a handmaiden of Radha. Then there may be names of Krishna, like Hare Krishna mantra, for example. You know, related to that. And so this is um, um, Baba Sambandi. It's related. It's related to the ideal, and in its mature stage, it becomes one with the ideal. And then there are things that are favorable uh, for that. Hmm? That might be things like uh, wearing Tulsi beads and tea lock. And so these are favorable. Then there are things that are not unfavorable. Hmm? And that means they're also recommended. And that includes scratching the cow's necks, brushing them, giving them fresh fodder, and so forth. So it's part of rag bhakti also. And then there above viruta, things that are not favorable. Hmm? So there's among the angas of bhakti, there are a few like worshipping the queens of Dwarka is an anga of Vaidhi bhakti. That won't be favorable if your ideal is to become a handmaiden of Radha. Hmm? You understand? So you're, you're, you're good with that. that that's, that's not Nama Bas. Yes, Marj? You were saying that Shraddha Nama Bas does not constitute uh, opera. But I remember that in Harinam Chintamani Bhaktanathaku explains Shadamamavas is chanting with the intention of not committing offense, but still committing some offense, mm-hmm. making some effort to not committing offense. And he said, like, Aparat would be committing offense without the effort of not committing offense. Uh-huh. Okay, well. Well, uh, again, it's a novel idea of, of Bhakti Vinod. And we probably go with his, you know, interpretation of it as well. But um, um, that is where it's played out, Harinam Chintamani, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's in the context of of spiritual practice. So I guess, yeah, and some make, make, making some offense, but not trying not to. Is that what he said? He says that if you are trying not to commit offense, but still you are without intention falling into some of them, but keep on practicing so you can transcend them. So he said, that's Radhanamavasi. Well, that uh, would correspond with what's largely with what's coming next in Namastakam mm-hmm. as well. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes? Thank you. Um, Maharaj, you were saying as long as we're being inspired, take <coughs> look at that as, as good and, and keep being inspired even if we're not able to being fully inspired in the chanting itself, sitting down, say, and just chanting. Um, should we hope, <laughs> obviously, that as long as we're being inspired, that eventually we'll get, it'll bring us back to the beads and we'll eventually get to that Nam Bhaijan that we are told is so important, you know? Yeah. You know, and that, and that even yeah. if it seems like a long way off, it's like, but hey, I know I'm still here, I'm still with the You have to become a little more Hindu. Is the thing. 
You have to be coming. Yes, yes, yes. Just now coming. Wonderful. <laughs> Hindus, ethnic Hindus can hear this all day long and they don't get neurotic like we do. You know, but they know, yes, you should be done. And it'll be done. <laughs> time is cyclic, cyclic, you know, it's going to come back around. So, yeah, that, they have that, you know, some scar like that. We get all neurotic about it. I'm not doing it. I, I got to come back. You know, the, so they can hear like a strong talk about my renunciation without getting neurotic and thinking I should, I should, you know, leave my my family. How can I do that? <laughs> what? You know, how, yeah, they're just like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. And then just then they go on with their life, you know. <laughs> but it's there. They got us. They get. They, <laughs> so. Conscious of not getting so neurotic with, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing, la 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 la, and not being aware of maybe harm that we're causing in the world, responsibilities that we're not being, you know, or, or, or lack of kindness or something else like this, where we're just not being aware that our surroundings are affected, but all we're doing, what we think we're supposed to be doing devotionally and, and in a hardcore kind of way yet maybe causing some kind of, you know, problem to others because we're not being careful about, you know, the ripple effect of being so hardcore with what we're doing. Like maybe not even paying attention, running into walls, running into people. Well, I think that, uh, I think that I understand your question. I, I think that if one is really, to use your term, hardcore about the sadhana, they're going to become very soft people and they're going to become very... Uh, sensitive to, um, um, uh, you know, problems in the world, although they may not have time to be involved in in piecemeal solutions to them, they'll have empathetic, natural, you know, disposition and, and, and so on. But it is possible to appear like a hardcore sadhaka that, whose heart is not becoming Soft and who has kind of a someone has kind of a re, a gyan perspective on bhakti. It's about that's more about de- detachment, getting away from things. And the you know, detachment makes the heart tends to make it harder. So there may be some devotees um, like that. I don't think that's really an example of really being plugged into the sadhana. If you're really plugged into the sadhana. You may not have time for worldly events and so forth, but you can hear about them and comment on them in, in ways that would um, would indicate that you had a, uh, some feelings <laughs> uh, and sensibilities. I mean, there there are some devotees who have very harsh takes on on things in in, in the world that are quite uh, shocking. You see on the Facebook at times, it's just like you wonder what the what they're what they've been doing to, to reach those kind of conclusions. So, hope that helps. What else? So, would it be at the stage of Baba Bhakti that you would have you chanting the pure holy name, and before that, it's going to be Shraddha Namabhas? Well, you know, I don't quite look at it like that. I think that you—it's just like you have Uttam Bhakti. There's. There's a couple of ways to understand it. Uttam Bhakti has a sadhana form, it has a Baba stage, 
sadhana stage, a bhava stage, and a um, prem stage, right? So it's all uttam bhakti. Rupa Goswami begins his book by talking about sadhana bhakti of the uttam type, which is a certain ideal hmm, uncovered by gyan and karma, uh, favorable for Krishna, ex favorable for ongoing culture, that which is favorable for pleasing Krishna, and so forth. So you can be an, an uttam bhakta of in the sadhana stage. Sometimes people think uttam bhakti means you can't be in the sadhana stage or the bhava stage. You have to be in the in the in in the in the prem stage, but that's not what Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is saying. That said, at the same time, the influence of karma and gyan on one will still be there in the sadhana stage. Hmm? He's not going to or she's not going to chant um, with an idea that by chanting I'll attain mukti as my ideal. So your ideal is not covered by gyan. Or by chanting, I'll get, uh, I'll, I won't incur any impious uh, results or any bad karma. So, or, or I'll get good karma by chanting. That would be covered by by karma. So you don't have that. It's a conceptual orientation, right, to the teaching. It makes you an uttam bhakta of the sadhana type. Still, the influence of karma and gyan will be playing a role in your in, in your life, right? Hmm? So, when you come to Bhava Bhakti, then they're not. Hmm? And what was your question again? Oh, about Nam. So, about Nam. So, the same thing holds true, as the way I would try to explain it. That you're chanting the pure name in terms of a pure idea. I'm chanting the name because I want to attain uh, a place in the Braj Lila, following the associates of Krishna. That this is this, this the dhyan given in Sanat Kumar Samhita, the visualization to accompany the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. I'm chanting this mantra and, I'm, and and my visualization is Radha and Krishna, Gopas, Gopis, cows underneath the tree, Kalpavriksha tree, and I want to enter there. Hmm? So that is a Sudanam conception. So you chant Sudanam and you don't make offenses and gradually then the full effect of Sudanam. Uh, the Sudanam is going to remove the lower things and, and bring the higher things as well. Um, now, you know, Bhaktivinoda has given another way of talking about it, by way of saying uh, there's a you're putting it in stages, you're chanting, you're trying to overcome offenses, you're, you're trying to make progress. So. What, by what he's saying, where would you be? It would seem that you would be somewhere within Sada the Bhakti when 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 uh, um, Shraddhanama boss has played itself out. Because in, in, in Nishta and in Ruchi, you're not going to be making offenses. So if, if offenses is part of Shraddhanama boss, then what to speak then of Bhava Bhakti? Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Uh, I was just wondering, um, when we're, Prabhupada has said when we're chanting, we should pray, please accept me. And you were saying a story one time about how you were chanting and Prabhupada was there and you felt some connection with Prabhupada. Like, I can't remember the story, but that you knew that Prabhupada, um, somehow you were chanting. Do you remember that story you told about? Remember a couple, but yeah, what's your question? So my question is, do you hear us praying to you? Because I was praying the other day, and I was saying, I was hoping that we could hear them. Praying for your mercy. So I don't know, I'm sorry to embarrass you, but I really had to ask you that question. <laughs> and I hope it's okay. Prayers will never go unanswered. Uh, so They will never be unheard, or they'll never be unanswered. So you don't have to worry. Just pray. <laughs> okay. Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai. Shri Shri Gauramadava Ki Jai. Gornitananda Ki Jai. Daji Gopal Ki Jai. Gaur Bhaktivinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi. Haribol.